today on Gigdemin Powers. You know, I have been on many film sets and you see the conversations that happen in these rooms where like, maybe we should do this. And it's really true. It's just people doing their best to try to make this thing. Um, and I have definitely have had experiences like watching a movie, having read the script already, and then like having heard the people work on work on the behind the scenes. And it was a little bit different because I was too aware of, I saw all the, uh, the bad takes, you know, I saw all the like how they edited things and, I, and it's a little bit um, jarring. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back. My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom in Pals is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom in Pals creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. Today's guest is Chris Kawagiwa, an artist and illustrator who does many, many things. He creates storyboards, creates amazing specialized posters for movies we all know, and creates his own comic book series. Chris will take us through his journey from being an aspiring artist to where he is today. Let's listen. I'll try to keep it as quiet as possible here. We got a grandma next door watching the baby so we might be interrupted by cries but uh she's she's due for a nap so hopefully she's gonna go to bed soon. <laughs> the grandma is due for a nap no 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 the baby the, the grandma's yeah. watching the baby <laughs> so your baby i assume yes yeah six months six months congratulations so, uh, thank, thank you so much thank you yeah it's the first time very very exhausting but very uh very exciting time right now yes i have three. Oh wow oh my gosh Yes. How old are they? Uh, they they've all gone through six months, and now they're uh-huh. in nine <laughs> and uh, five. Oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she can't uh, crawl yet, so I know that once she starts crawling and running, it's going to get much harder to keep up with that kid energy. You know. Well, it depends. You know, the small and uh, for now, at least, you know, they don't. Uh, Try to throw themselves off the roof or that's true, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly where she's gonna be because yeah, she she won't get far. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I see there's uh Captain America uh oh yeah. The, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh my background shows a lot of my fandoms and <laughs> I wear my I wear my geekdom on my sleeve. You can see all the things that I that I like. Yeah. That's nice. So for the people listening, this is will also be on YouTube, but mm-hmm. what's, uh, walk us through the different fandoms. Oh my gosh. Okay. So maybe we're actually, it used to, this used to be more full. I mean, if you can believe it, more full of uh, geeky uh, things, but this is also the baby's room. You can see the little crib right here, but uh, this is a Captain America pillow in my little Star Wars, like a handmade, a friend made that for us, a Star Wars pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, we got my friend's dad painted this uh, original baby Yoda. For me, oh. it's an actual acrylic painting, original. And I actually built this uh, this this Yoda pram. I put a tutorial on on YouTube too. You can actually see how I made this. So it's a That's handmade cool. 
and it, that's <laughs> baby Yoda inside the flying thing the flying the, uh, yeah, the hover pram it took forever but uh it was, it was a very fun fun project to do and then uh what do we have oh we got an iron man helmet this one is also made out of a like a wall decoration but i turned it into a whole helmet so it fits hmm. in two pieces not this this way and then uh eyes light up Ah. <laughs> There's a portal gun back here. That one's a little hard to get out. Mm -hmm. It's one of these from the video game portal. This one I bought. This one I didn't make. But I just thought it was fun. It's the oh, uh, Mandalorian helmet. Mandalorian, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more, but I think uh, the camera only covers so much, right? <laughs> nice. I'll have to give you a, another tour next time. I'll have a walking tour with my... Uh, with my cell phone or something. So I, you've proven your geekiness. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yes, uh -huh. I think. Uh, yeah, here it is. All my cards on the table. This is uh, <laughs> years, years of being dedicated to all these things that people love. Yeah, for sure. And so, what's your origin story as, uh, as a geek? So I'm trying to think back. Like, probably the first thing I liked as a kid. I, I, I was probably like five years old. It was a uh, Superman. Um, I found a bunch of old drawings of me just, you know, trying to draw Superman. I used to try to like get gel to try to make the S curl with my hair in the morning. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, during, during my, uh, preteen teenage years, I was really into superhero comics. So Marvel, Marvel stuff, X-Men, Generation X, uh, and then, and then what it kind of evolved after I, I kind of lost uh, lost uh, track of a lot of the superhero stuff for a little bit, like late in high school, early college, once I started to do uh, art as a as a major, and then I picked it back up with um, more contemporary adult comics like uh, Neil Gaiman, like Sandman, Vertigo stuff, um, and then I'm, I then I kind of went back to some superhero stuff too. So I love Scott Snyder's work on Batman and uh, American Vampire. So like. I, now I have kind of a breadth, you know, I, I don't keep up so much with the, the current superhero things. I'll like read some articles here and there, but there's just too much to keep up with, you know, <laughs> now I watch all the movies for sure. That's an easy one, but reading all the books and having that full list every Wednesday became a little bit much, um, especially if you're trying to make uh, a career out of creativity, you have to like, you know, uh, decide how much you consume and create because you only have so much time in the day. Yeah. And how did you start as, uh, as an artist, like as a kid? I think, well, I think everybody learns, you know, like when you're a kid, everybody's given crayons, right? So I yeah. think it's just that I didn't stop, you know. Um, I think I was, I'm an only child, so I think I had a lot of time for myself. And so I think like being able to have drawing as a uh, outlet, as an activity that I can do by myself without any siblings, it's like, it's very fun for me. I can get lost in my own imagination and... Uh, I love Star Wars in the early 90s, so there was no, you know, like talk of prequels, and it had been so long since 1983, Return of the Jedi was so long ago, and th there was no Star Wars, but I loved it, and so I would draw and just get try to get lost in my imagination um, uh, in that world, I remember as a kid, um, and now, now that the cup overflows, right, you know, like there's so much stuff out there, and I think I'm kind of making up for now, you know. <laughs> by getting all the collectible toys and um just enjoying being part of that fandom but um i definitely remember there was there was a time when there was so little but because there was so little you it was your thing you know it was kind of like 
like an indie rock band that only you knew about, you know, and then it became big and now everybody knows about it. But um, I think all Star Wars especially is a is definitely like a formative thing in my heart. Um, I'm sorry, I, you asked about the yes about the art thing though, but I think <laughs> but I think that 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 kind of uh, it kind of segues though because it was a lot of inspiration from those movies that kind of like sure. once I once I started to read those um those art of books and you start to see like the art of Star Wars, the art of Batman, the animated series or whatever, you start to realize like somebody drew this stuff. Um, and then picking up some of those books early on kind of uh, sparked me to, to, to like actually pursue a, a career path um, in college. Nice. I, I remember I was actually there when Star Wars mm-hmm. episode four first premiered. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I was too- slightly uh, older than you. Uh-huh. And I went to, didn't know what I was going to see. I was mm-hmm. a tiny kid. Right. And, you know, it was amazing. Right. Yeah. To this day. And yeah. I, I remember after maybe the second uh, movie, mm-hmm. uh, there was something in the newspapers because back then we didn't have an internet. So you know, right. yeah. George Lucas says this is one trilogy out of three. Uh-huh. And I remember he said the first trilogy will be about the origins and we'll have more politics, and the third right. one will be, uh, you know, that actually I think was less clear. And right. I've been waiting for him. I, I have, I had been waiting for him for yeah. like 30 years or something. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, to have that experience. He yeah, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't have that, you know, like I didn't have the. The, I mean, I guess I was waiting for the prequels because I knew that was gonna. That was such a long time. There was so much yeah. buildup, and I think there's very few franchises that have that much built-in expectation and sort of a uh, like people wanting people like just you know waiting to see uh, what what develops. And I think that's uh, that's also I think to the detriment because you, in your imagination, it's always going to be better than it actually can be. You know, and I think and I think it's hard to um calculate for the fact that people grow you know and they they form different memories and they they mature as people and so that your taste may change from when you first saw a movie and there's nothing like like i said there's nothing like the first time you saw something you know yeah i think it becomes very formative i remember seeing you know every in every movie of the last three movies Mm -hmm. last trilogy uh i first of all it brought me you know it was my childhood and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people for my childhood. And at the same time, I knew now what I didn't know that, that you know, this thing is written by people. Right. Yeah. Mistakes uh-huh. and people. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> even if they do a really good job, it's just people. And mm-hmm. uh, and I was sitting there so afraid that it would be bad. Right. <laughs> and yet at the same time, you know, I was meeting again stuff that's important to me on levels I didn't know from my childhood. Right. So, yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting now because i think like we have so much access to information behind the scenes uh, there's a little bit of that magic that gets taken away because you're so aware of uh actors and what they're up to it's like not just what's in variety but you hear about it just on facebook and instagram about like uh this artist got signed and this actor and this producer even like mm-hmm. who knew the producers of these movies who loved in the 80s or 90s you know like people didn't know these things and now i think you do and you kind of a little bit of it, I think, is something's lost when you're so aware of um, some of the behind the scenes, you know, because you you want to be transported to that world and you don't want to be thinking about like how much this actor got paid 
And you would, you might know that stuff now, you know, like you said you, before, you know, things just had to be published in the newspaper, but it's easy as going on your phone and you can find out every little nitty gritty detail about the production and, you know, like, you know, people on set could be talking about stuff and mm-hmm. things get leaked. And I think that that's a little unfortunate that like a little bit of that uh, suspension of disbelief is a little bit harder because you're aware of um, some of the details behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, but if you're an artist, if you're a creator, you are already <laughs> aware of it, you know? Right, for sure. Yeah. No, and I think it's interesting because like I, I work, uh, you know, in a bunch of things, but mostly entertainment and, and movies and TV are a big part of it because I do storyboarding. And so I'm, you know, I've have been on many film sets, and you see the conversations that happen in these rooms where, like, maybe we should do this. And it's really true. It's just people doing their best to try to make this thing. Um, and I have definitely have had experiences like watching a movie, having read the script already, and then like having heard the people work on work on the behind the scenes. And it was a little bit different because I was too aware of. I saw all the. Uh, the bad takes, you know, I saw all the, like how they edited things and, I, and it's a little bit um, jarring because you're aware of like, cause in your head, you already see things like, oh, they, they miss, you kind of have expectations about like, oh, I saw this one little snippet. Are they gonna show it? You know, like now I'm not in the story. I'm expecting to see like, I saw this cool scene. Are they, and then in a little disappointment, like, oh no, they cut it, you know, like, oh, that's too bad. Whereas I never would have felt that if I was, you know, um, in ignorance, you know, there's a little bit of bliss to that. To be able to consume it but it's a, it's the sacrifice i think of being behind the scenes and being a creator is that you the reins of like making the magic are in your hands yeah. and it, you now you have the responsibility to for the next and it's not for you it's for you know the next kid that can inspire you know that that might change their life you know like to when they see it for the first time and to them it's real and that world exists and i think that's important that that's what i think is like something we need to pass on but i, I think it's also for you yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, clearly, clearly, I do. I can still get lost in the world. Like, clearly, I yeah. still enjoy it. You know, like I can build this thing, but I still enjoy looking at it and and talking about it and uh, geeking out about. It. I have no qualms about um, you know, like enjoying things. You know. Yeah, I, I have that with uh, today. You know, the Marvel movies. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I really hope for the best, and but I, mm-hmm. you know, something in my mind says they can't do it each and every time right like mm-hmm. it's not possible. Right. but yeah. then they do it so you know and- yeah that that one is uh talk about a you know like a one universe that's done pretty well the batting yeah. average is very very high you know it's almost like like pixar level you know where like even their worst movie is not a bad movie it's still pretty good you know what i mean like it's it's very rare to find in that series something that is like you may have different expectations about certain things but just the quality has been uh, pretty pretty impressive pretty so and, far. You know? And they dare to break the rules. Like, they don't do the same thing again. They yeah, don't do the same I, thing especially, yeah, I, I think, like, some people say they're formulaic, but they really do explore genres, you know? I think, yeah. like, there's a heist movie, there's, like, a spy movie, yeah. uh, you know, like, these these are really interesting things, because and but they're packaged in this, this way that I think, like, still feels the same universe. I think that's what makes people feel like they're formulaic, is that it feels... But it has to exist in the same universe. It's a cinematic yeah. shared space. Um, I think especially with the TV stuff they've been doing recently is very interesting. You know, like WandaVision was like, I didn't, I haven't seen anything like that before, you know, where they have it's different styles. Done. And yeah. yeah, like that's really interesting. It got a lot of people on board who weren't even superhero fans before. It's just a, <laughs> it's like a drama, 
that just happens to have uh, superpowered people and kind of a fantastical twist to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and the Captain America, yeah, the Captain America, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, mm -hmm. it was right. actually, it was exactly like a Captain America right. uh, comic book. Yeah, but while it's still trying to explore some more modern themes and discussions that kind of need to happen, I think that's, right. it's important because it, because it's popular, it's going to get talked about. And I think that's uh, an important area to like act as an entry point, as an icebreaker for conversations with people. You know, I think mm -hmm. like, yeah, as, as popular, it's to this point, I think it's almost like not just pop culture. It just becomes part of culture, you know? And I think that's, that's uh, something I enjoy participating in is because it's so popular. It's like, you can talk to almost anybody. It's almost like sports or something, you know? You can bring up a Marvel movie somebody might like, you know? Yeah, I, even, you know, if you work on movies and you know that produce, it, they cost so much money. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh -huh. But producers, their instinct is always, this worked before, we have to do this again. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. are so ballsy in doing something completely different each time. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. uh, Captain Marvel started, you didn't see a human, basically, mm -hmm. as far as you knew, like, except for the first few seconds. Right. For 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No uh -huh. humans. Yeah, and uh, that's that's ballsy. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, back to you. So, how did you get on movie sets? Uh, so, right after college, um, well, first of all, I, I majored in illustration at Cal State Long Beach. Um, I wanted to do animation, but it wasn't until I got there that I realized they didn't really have a program, and then they don't. They had graphic design, drawing and painting, and illustration, and I didn't. At that age, I didn't even know what the differences between those majors were. Um, I just knew that I wanted to draw for a living. I wanted to do something like that. And I, you know, like I, animation is the closest thing that I understood that I consumed and like, oh, I think there's, somebody draws this um, before it gets, you know, um, paint, cell shaded and painted and created. Um, so it was very ironic that it was the last year of my schooling that they actually started an animation program <laughs> the year I graduated. But I, I have no regrets. I love illustration. It, it's, it's perfect for me because it's like a mixing between you know, commercial and you can still insert a lot of philosophy and your own taste and style. And it, it still allows, allows me to be creative. Um, but uh, right after school, it was definitely a, a little bit of a flail trying to figure out. Wait, hold on. Why did you get into the school? Like you, you, you know, you're an artist. Mm -hmm. did you think that you could actually get a job or did you think i just need to do this so you know even if i have to wash dishes too yeah i, I think i don't i don't think i knew quite what i was doing yet i just loved to draw all the time and i think i was encouraged at least by the parents that you know they were to to pursue it which was really nice um so i don't think i understood that what careers were available at that point um i think the maybe the last Two, three years i realized that um storyboarding was was something that was like used for movies and tv and that sounded really interesting because it was telling narrative story mm -hmm. and um it's really really cool to be behind be part of that early process before something gets committed to film like you, like you mentioned like films cost so much money they require like the coordination of you know you know dozens of people hundreds sometimes you know people like working together in concert um, to be, but be, be part of that early process, like a very important cog. I thought that was really interesting to be like, well, you would need to talk to directors. You need to talk, you know, like sometimes work with the writers and in translating what's written on the page 
and being the first person to start to create a visual visual flow like it's like literally you're you're starting from a you know like a blank page um i thought that was really exciting um wait can so we, that, let's go let, let's go a little bit through the process because i think mm -hmm. most people don't know how that works so you sure yeah you have to read the script you have to talk yeah. to the director right uh -huh. but then how do you choose because there are many ways to shoot something you know? mm -hmm. even yeah. if the story is very clear how do you choose right. what to do yeah, well, it's, it, it differs from director to director. Some directors actually already have a shot list. So they have written it out because uh, they'll have written out exactly like this person is a close up, this person in the back, you know, this one is short shot, like low angle. This one is going to be like moving this way. The camera goes here. And sometimes they'll even have a very rudimentary, like top down angle where the camera is pointing this way and the person's mm -hmm. here. You know? And then you transpose that in your head into like a perspective and and kind of uh, gauge what they're thinking um, into a sketch. Um, and then other directors, they'll kind of just trust you to, to like imagine where things go. So it, it's just the script and it's just written straight at like, just like how the actors read it. And then, and then you imagine that gets, that gets a little bit more difficult. And usually those ones, I would prefer to actually like be in the room with the director and like talk, talk with them. And I'll do like little thumbnails on actually on the script page and then sometimes I'll show them like like this, kind of like this. And then and that, that gets a little bit harder unless I've worked with them before. But um, some of the directors I've worked with a lot, like they, they understand that I know what they mean, you know, and you, you develop a shorthand. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's there's different methods for sure. And again, just a slightly technical question. Uh -huh. Once you have, you know, you have the final uh, storyboard, mm -hmm. who who are the people who then look at the storyboard and uh, you know you got like what's the process for um, for group? Yeah, there could be a few people. So the director is usually the person that's guiding the main movement, um, but it, it could be also the the producers could also be thinking about like you know they're thinking about how much things cost. You know, so like the director can imagine like oh here's a a crowd here's a crowd scene in the back and then once they see it drawn they realize like oh wait we need to hire extras we need this type of costume we need to hire a wardrobe we need a set design you know like and so i think uh oftentimes i'm not there for the exact presentation you know like i'll email it off and i'm offset but usually by the time um they're presenting it but it's usually put into a binder the director will show it to pretty much anybody that needs to set up the scene and it helps them organize you know before they dedicate an entire day just for one shot like where where things go you know so the director will show up to probably anybody that needs to be you know setting up the scene and that's involved just so they get a breakdown of like um so it's just just so it's not words you know so like today we're shooting yeah. this e even though if it's going to be vastly more complicated or different they get an idea like person here there's a I don't know there's a dog over there and then there's here you know like and then they'll get an idea of um like what they'll need to set up for the day and in the end i think that's it ends it ends up saving them a lot of money because they're not guessing you know what what goes where and like who to hire and what they need to dedicate in the logistics especially you know of of setting up just shooting one scene how, how did you get into that oh it was really so uh yeah ex uh, early on right after college i was trying to find just anything to storyboard and i think i, I try to do a few stories of my own but i find it really difficult you know because you to, to write my own original things um, I actually made some ads, um, you know, like the kind where it's, uh, 
the very old school kind where it's on little cork board and you have little pieces of paper that you can tear off and it has little, your, your phone number and your email on it. So just a bunch of like little papers and you tear one out. <laughs> so I basically drew a storyboard of, I think it was, it was like a girl running. It was like an action scene, like a, as if it was like a Nike ad or something. And she was jumping outside of the, the frame of the storyboard, trying to make it look very dynamic. And um, it, it said like, do you need storyboards for your film project? And I actually put those around uh, the, the student center at USC at the, the film school. And I think, I forget, I went to a couple. I mean, I put it at, of course, my own Long Beach State um, and a couple other like colleges. I would try to go to their film department and see if they had like a community board and, and post these like pieces of paper there. And it actually worked for, um, I actually did a few jobs for some graduate students at USC who had, you know, their student thesis films and they really needed help to try to like visualize things and of course he'd like adjusted their budget the student film they there was very limited but at least it started to get the ball rolling um i'm not sure if it was one of those or another small job i did um later but that got the attention of one producer that was like doing a small commercial and that producer recommended me to a director and that director director meant somebody else and then it just kind of snowballs from there where if you're if you build a reputation of being reliable and you know decently fast and and easy to work with i think that's kind of how you build reputation and um that's kind of how i got my start nice and i also saw uh, at your website that you have like posters of really mm -hmm. classic uh not just uh you know things that come out came out recently but also things that came out a long time ago how mm -hmm. does that uh work oh uh, which ones are you talking about the which posters who uh there was uh one that looks like the planet of the apes but you've got rocky Horror picture show oh yeah so those are more recent ones those are uh actual steel books so they are um anniversary collector's editions uh oh. like blu-ray blu-ray slash dvd packaging um so th that one i so I, i was recent most recently i was employed with an agency that did a lot of work with like major companies, uh, notably a lot of like Netflix titles. So there's a ton of Netflix titles that I've worked on, but um, they, they would still work in packaging once in a while. And those were one of the few that um, that actually went to print as collector's items. So they, I think it was the 45th anniversary for Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that was an exclusive steel book. So they only made so many, I think it was like a Best Buy exclusive. So they don't, they don't sell them at very many places in it. And they're in very limited numbers. They become collector's items. And that was uh, working with the, uh, the original creators to try to like show uh, like a new version of their classic cult film. So when people ask you, like they say, they come to you and they say, you know, I want you to do uh, this poster, mm -hmm. collected edition. How do you go about that? Well, so this one was through an agency. So I wasn't even there for those conversations. I just happened to be freelancing at the agency at the time. And uh, usually there's like a, a pitch phase. So I, I'm not, I wasn't there for, the, um, for the, the, the studios reaching out to the agency, but the agency would tell me like, so we need this. We're looking for this type of, of uh, visual design. Um, and a group of us would kind of like pitch ideas with like, how about this, how about this? And oftentimes I'd, I'd be the, the, one of the few illustrators there. So I would draw like, I would do an illustrative version of 
whatever concept they had. Like, so, cause you know, the, the, I worked with some really amazing designers um, and then they would come up with concepts and we would pitch, you know, like in a, in a deck um, uh, different concepts and they would kind of choose like, oh, we like this one, maybe this, maybe add, maybe com combine these two and then kind of go back and forth. And it, it's very much like a, um, like a gauntlet, you know, like if you, you can show 12 designs and out of those only four will get, go on to the next round and then out of those only get the three get the next you know and then it gets pared down so it's uh it's a process of being able to accept that this might not get chosen you know it can get killed anytime mm -hmm. so the fact that it got to print is amazing anytime things that have been uh you know have gone to print has been it's always been really gratifying because it means that it's gone through so many phases of iterations of people like producers and so many voices that need to um chime in and and like sometimes the talent needs to approve it too you know like if it's a likeness for an actor's face mm -hmm. it has to go directly to the actor or their uh, agent or whatever and they have to say yes or no and sometimes they'll say no some to say please fix this fix my nose fix my you know like that, that that's happened too before it's very interesting because you know they're the actual person you're drawing may actually see this and and it needs to go through approval processes think that's another thing that uh destroys uh uh the vision of uh right, yeah i would think you know someone yeah. comes to say chris i know you're good i know you yeah that's that's the difficult that's it. the part yeah that i think that's where um being an illustrator understanding the commercial aspect of it it's not you know like not it's not just my vision you know like this is a product this is an ip that exists there's um there's a big machine that that's built this you know thing before i'm just here to help you know so Part of it is letting go of your ego with certain things, you know, and then, and then um, just trying to make the best of it. I think for, for me, that's, that's, I think why I do my own personal projects, because for those ones, nobody can tell me no, you know, like there's yeah. no, and any decision I make gets to be my own. And I think um, having that, like my comic book series, like, I think having that on the side allows me to not be too beholden to one idea for somebody else's baby, you know, like, sure. Uh, even if it's like a Star Wars or a Marvel property I've worked on, like, and I'm just playing in somebody else's sandbox. I'm just, they're letting me borrow it, you know? Like, I think, uh, whereas, and then I, in, in my head, I feel like I can always return back to my own thing. And for that, I get to feel more free and creative. And if any ideas that didn't go through with this other project, well, I can just put it in mine, you know? Like, I can always put that in my pocket as like, they, they might have not liked it, but I can use it for something that I create. So I think that's always like a nice way to, to, to feel like you're not wasting the creative ideas that, that go into making something. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I should say this, but my, I've discovered that my process is very, as a writer, is very problematic with uh, mm -hmm. people because in the few times I had to write for other people, mm -hmm. I found that it, destroy something in me <laughs> so that when I go to write my own thing, I'm slightly, uh, you know, worn out. Uh, something in me is wrong. Mm -hmm. So at some point I just decided I'm not never going to write for other people. For sure. Yeah. But it, it destroys something in me and mm -hmm. that I can't say, okay, this isn't, this isn't my thing. And this is, Mm -hmm. I just if I have to compromise on this, then I find myself compromising on that. Nice. Yeah. It, it's, it could be really difficult to decouple those things, you know, especially as a creator, because everybody has a voice. And the more 
the more you get good at it, the more you want to express it, the more confident you feel like, no, this is good. You know? So I think it's, yeah, I definitely think it's a difficult process to kind of like separate those two for sure. So talk about your comic books. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess my first real comic is the Sunless Circus. So it's a story about a robot acrobat and he, he lives in the circus, but he dreams of running away to become an accountant because he, he wants to crunch numbers. He's a robot. So it's all, you know, math up in his head and the, the entertainment business is boring to him. He, he wants a life of, of quiet calculation, you know? Um, and that was originally only eight pages, no words, just a complete silent comic and part of an anthology that, um, a friend uh, at, at a comic book store, the, uh, Mike Wellman, he put together a bunch of creators. It's really great because he really encouraged indie creators to like come together and, um, you know, like come up with their own stories. And I think being part of that, an anthology really helped because I, I wasn't confident enough to make my own thing to like, even if it was eight pages to like staple it and put it out there. But if it was an anthology it, together, it, it was, you know, you know, a, a little bit, a thickness of, of pages. And and when you sell that to somebody, at least they'll find, they'll probably find one story in there that they'll like, you know? And then also um, if you take to conventions, you have multiple people pitching it for you because like, oh, I have a story in here too. You should check it out. So it's at multiple tables. And um, it's, uh, I think it, it raises the, the tide raises all the ships that everybody that's involved, I think is like promoted within, with each other. I think it's great. Um, my friend Ralph basically, uh, I, he, he basically kind of, uh, peer pressured me to join in because he put my name on the list. He, I was still like, I don't know if I can do it. And like, I told him, I told him to do it. I'm like, I guess I have to do it. You know? I think I needed that little push because I was so, uh, lacking in confidence to do my own thing at that, at that age. Um, but I'm glad because that, that, that short story turned into, you know, another story that was like doubled in length. And this one, it has, di- it has, uh, captions and, and a narration and that doubled into like another story the third story and that doubled in length again and this time it has dialogue and it's an actual uh full-fledged comic and um it, it, it's very for me i think it was it was like training to to get learn how to create my own writing style and to go with art because initially i didn't like i'm not a writer i'm an artist i just draw you know so mm-hmm. it was basically like storyboards no words just which is also really difficult, you know, it becomes like a silent film. Um, but I think it, it was good practice for me to like start small and then try to grow from there and then try to like in baby steps, uh, learn how to become a, a storyteller. And how do you feel? You know, that's a very humble approach because <laughs> most people say, I can write, I can, you know, I still have stuff to learn, but I can do this. <laughs> sure, so yeah. I'll start small and I'll figure it out and I'll yeah yeah so, i think like uh i definitely i can credit the one major experience so it ties back into my storyboarding days um i was doing a lot of uh, music videos mm-hmm. and one of one of them's for a uh, a japanese um music, like a huge band called x japan and it was they're well, huge over there you said, I, the japanese jewish band you said no no no. it's a it's a rock band okay it's a it, it's a huge rock band like they're oh. um i guess kind of like I don't know how to even describe it. It's like um, kind of like like death metal, I think. Anyway, so anyway, I was doing the the, the music video, and and I think like uh, I was part of the the process of them trying to cast things, and they needed like somebody to play uh, a bad guy, and the the main the main guy Yoshiki, he's like the the um, the lead. 
And like, he's like, oh, I know, I know a guy that can play it. And he said, he knows Stan Lee. And I'm like, what, how do you know Stan Lee? It seems very different, you know, like a rock band from Japan and Stan, but they, they were working on a project together. And so it turned out that Stan Lee would make a cameo in this music video. And so uh, it was really fun. I got to draw Stan Lee as like this, uh, I think it was like, a, he was playing the devil or something. It was something really silly. Um, and, but, and for this one, I, I definitely, I knew that whether on the, the day of the shoot, it was actually gonna be a real concert at, uh, in LA Live. And I, the producer, I had worked with her a bunch. So I'm like, can I, can I come to the set? Can I, can I watch this? You know? So it was great. We got to free concert and I knew Stan Lee was going to be somewhere on set, you know, and I got to be there because I'm part of the, part of the crew. Um, and amazingly, uh, there was a chance when I, you know, I had my, my books and, and I was, or my, I had my books with me. I had just my drawings, but I got to show him, you know, like I, I was a storyboard artist on your, on this, on this, uh, music video. And I got to tell him how Marvel Comics changed me as a child, and I and I grew up reading his heroes, and he was super nice. Um, and I got a what picture with him. Say? Oh, he he was just like you imagined, you know, like oh that's great, true believer, you know, like he's he was super encouraging, you know, like oh, I'm glad to hear it, you know, like you go get him, you know, it's really I felt like a little kid, you know, I was also much younger too, but it's still I definitely felt you know just like a kid again, excited, and it was great to meet one of my heroes. Um, which, but the here's the the kickers later on I. I mailed him, you know, like a fan fan letter with my comic book. And I'm like, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. Here's a comic book I wrote that, uh, in, you know, like I, I, I'm trying to make comics now. And I just thought, I didn't think of it. I just wanted him to know, you know, like I appreciated how nice he was to me at, at the, at the uh, onset. Um, but then a few weeks later, I actually got a letter back in the mail from from Stan Lee saying, oh, I, I read this. I enjoyed it. Thank you. you know? So wow. that that definitely I, I framed it now. You know, uh, it's it's definitely like I couldn't believe it, you know, like that somebody of his stature would take the time to, you know, connect with a nobody like a kid who just had this. I have a comic book. I wrote this. And that, that that's what kind of encouraged me to continue with this series and keep trying to tell my own stories and um, and continue with it. And then, and then the fourth the fourth book I've written, there is a strongman, and his name is Stan. Stan the strongman. It's clearly an homage to <laughs> Mr. Stan, Stan the man. Yeah. And when, when a, I, I want you to keep talking about the comic books, like the recent, the most recent comic book. Mm -hmm. is. So yeah, so the the stories basically t are told um, chronologically backwards. So the first one is about the robot acrobat that lives in the circus and. And it's very short. It's a little bit of a, so it's very funny because like my pitch is very lighthearted, but there's elements of tragedy to them. <laughs> there's a little, there's little messages of, basically the first one is you, you can't go home again. You know, like anytime you leave your home, you're going to come back a changed person. Your home is different once you come back, you know, once you've had experiences in your life. Um, and the second one is about how the, uh, the inventor, an inventor, a traveling inventor comes to build Artie like where did he come from you know so it's more of a little bit of an origin story of how Artie started out as a as like a fortune-telling machine and then uh, that one's a little bit of a mystery like it's a uh, something something sneaky is happening in the circus but you don't know what it is until at the end of the end of the book um, and that one I can actually show you something it's yeah yeah, yeah this one is so the, the, I have these cards I take these to conventions right so oh. this is like a, this is included as part of the um, story. So one of the characters in the book, there's a scene where she looks at this photograph, you know, so you, you interact the same way the characters do. 
Oh. And this one you can only do, I can only do at conventions because you need a whole bunch. You can animate these ones. You see the Ferris wheel? Wow. <laughs> yes, you can. I guess the audio can't hear it, but yeah, there's a juggler in the back. Yeah, and describe it. Ferris. And we also have it on YouTube. Yeah. Yes, right. So watch it on All YouTube. Right. Yeah. So the, it's only two frames. Yeah. But it's like a it's like an animated GIF, you know, so it looks like it's moving. Um, I wanted something. This is this goes back to me wanting something that is very uh, tactile and interactive. You know, I, I wanted. I mean, as I love digital for distribution. It's the best way to get get your comic out there to the most amount of people. Costs nothing for printing. It's just you know uploaded yeah. and you can put it on Comicsology or whatever. Um, but this uh, experience of having something in your hands and turning the pages, the smell of the ink, you know, like that's how I experience the stories that affected me the most. And I wanted to do something similar with my book. You know, and in order to do that, I wanted something that you can you can feel and you can take away, you know? So I, I also have like these fortune teller cards and they're like little, they're scratch off. So like the lot, like the lottery scratchers. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a fortune underneath. I need a coin. I can't actually scratch in my nail, <laughs> but yeah. So but, it's like a little ball. So what do I find if I, if I uh, scratch that? There's like little, some of them are silly, silly fortunes. They're, they're a, lot, a lot of them are kind of like funny, but there's some serious ones too, talking about, you know, fate and, uh, you know, taking control of your life. And I, I didn't want to get too preachy about it. You know, I, so most, most of them are silly, but some of them are also, you could, you have also a chance to win a free comic book. So some of them are also like, a, it's a prize. And if, if you get one at the convention, you get a free comic book because you, you can buy one of these and then you, it's basically like a little, little scratch off card. But um, I really wanted something that people could take away and hold in their hands and kind of like a, in America, we have the Cracker Jack boxes with a little mm -hmm. toy inside. You know, I wanted something with a little toy inside um, for for my comic books. Um, so that's and I and they all make they all like are tied into the story too. So this this character, the the fortune teller lady, she actually is very pivotal to um, the robot in the third story, and that that's kind of the most complicated one. That's the raining ring, and that one's kind of a a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet. And it and it tells a story about how the how the ringmaster became the ringmaster and how he was like, you know, um, not he was he just kind of stumbled upon this traveling circus and how he rose to the ranks and how he can communicate how he learned to communicate with animals and a little bit of a love story a little bit of tragedy again but um, also builds into um, Artie again and they all they're all self contained so even if you haven't read the first one second one it's it's they're not um, they're you're rewarded if you read all of them but they'll make sense on their own, even if you don't know who the characters are. I have to ask a technical question, because mm -hmm. yeah. how do you get scratch cards done? Oh, so yeah, <laughs> some of these are very, uh, they're very uh, tedious. So these ones, I ordered these online. There's a company that, that makes playing cards. Mm -hmm. So you can actually basically, you know, make a custom deck. And these, uh, these little stickers, you actually, you can buy these little stickers. Let me see if I can, I have one right here. You have to peel them, you stick them off, you have to individually put them on each one. That's like I just described it for the for the uh, listeners. Right. That's like uh, you you had five silver round things with right. yeah. stickers. Yeah, this one I, yeah, so they're basically yeah, you have to they're stickers and they're basically they're scratch offs. So you can put them on anything and, and it just will hide whatever's underneath it. Um and some it's funny because some of this stuff I I'll just find at a you know craft store art store and I'll, I'll think of 
the idea after I look at the product, like, wait, what is this for? You know, and then um, incorporate it into something that's like a promotional item, you know, later. Cause I didn't, I wasn't thinking scratch off crystal ball, but I was looking at him like, oh, it kind of looks like a silver, silver something. And then <laughs> so I reverse engineered, like, you know, I'm going to design a card and mm-hmm. I can put this on here. So, yeah. That is cool. That is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah so when any, anytime, yeah, anytime people are at like a convention, it's like, yeah, these are handmade, you know, like I have to individually, <laughs> my, my fingerprints are all over this. They're, they're not, uh, they're printed, you know, manufactured, but um, a little bit of my efforts are, are in each, each item, you know? Yeah. That's like, I've had the, like a couple of guests, I think three guests we've had mm-hmm. action figures made out of, uh, you know, the, the things they do, like the comic mm-hmm. books. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that always, you know, stuff like that, that's outside, just go, here's my comic, read it. Uh, mm-hmm that kind of thing you know it's it's like a muscle i don't have so it's i find it so strange yeah it's it's amazing it's it's fun because i think it it, at a convention it definitely gets people's attention you know because like wait what is this you know like i have a little little sign that says like these these postcards animate you know and then in quotes like ask me how because people like what do you what do you mean they animate you know because it's not very common if you if you have a postcard they're all the same right but these ones are not there's a little just a little bit different enough to become a um it's like interactive moment where people like oh that's kind of fun you know and that's kind of what i want to create is that sort of very much like a circus you're entertaining them just for a moment and and uh, providing some some fun in their lives Mm. Uh, further back i remember i used to have a um I have to fix it. It's broken now, but an actual, a miniature um, fortune teller machine. So it was like, I, I, you know, like I, I clearly like building baby Yoda pram. I love crafting. My, my father was woodcrafter by trade. So I have a, a garage full of tools and I, I did I think, I don't think I appreciate it as a kid, but I realized like I picked up a lot of things just being around makers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the items I made was a miniature fortune teller. So he's, he's sculpted. And I think there's a picture on my, my website but um there's part of the story is that the robot cannot run away from the circus because he needs to charge he has a cord he he can only get so far he runs out of battery unless he charges at night um the way he finds freedom is through solar batteries so he finds like a solar panel or his friend the mouse does so i I found like a one of those um solar power led lights and i wired it so on the top of it, it it actually is solar powered and it lights up the lights up a little glowing crystal ball. And so if you cover it, it'll disappear. And if you if you let the light hit it, it'll, I mean, if you cover it, it'll light up and if light hits, it, it'll, it'll go off. Um, and then I tied, I tied a music box to it and I built out a Lego as a little camshaft. So it pulls um, like a, a fishing line. And so his arms move up and down a little bit as you play the music music box. Uh, that one, it was, I shouldn't have used Legos because the, the, that's the mechanism that broke. I need, I need something more sturdy uh, in the future, but it's, it's a work in progress, right? I think I might make a version 2.0 later on the line and might make a much, probably bigger and sturdier, but um, it definitely was something that people would wonder like, wait, what is this? What's, what's going on here? Usually everybody has comic books. You have a little, you know, crankshaft old toy. And then it's like, oh, this is the character. He's He's in the comic. Would you like to know more? Here, here it is. You know, I think it's a, it's a fun way to get attention. Yeah. And what kind of response have you been getting from uh, the comic book? Oh, it's been great. Yeah. Um, 
that one, that one, it's, I mean, it's very long time ago, but I feel like having that comic at my table, uh, I think really showed, you know, like I, I, I know how to complete a story, which I think, I think um, there's, you know, there's a different phases of uh, different types of creators. I feel like, especially in my field, it's about being able to tell a complete, succinct, uh, articulate story um, mm -hmm. in a visual narrative. Uh, I don't do just splash pages, you know, like it's not just one action pose, which I think it's great. And I think that's its own skill. And that's what gets attention. That's what's on covers mostly. But um, I think having that at my table at conventions, I think uh, it's definitely like illustrated my ability to tell a, a story. And I feel like I can track back big chunks of advancements in my creative career based on interactions I've had at conventions, which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be doing the conventions if I didn't have a book, you know? Um, and I wouldn't be in like, I think it was like, I, I have other prints and stuff too, but I think it was those things that caught the attention of like an art director. And then some of them were like, oh, can you do licensed stuff? Can you do this design? Can you try this, you know? Um, and it also has, the comic has acted as a, uh, a nice takeaway instead of just a business card for a potential client, they have an actual little story that they might enjoy, you know? that has both my art and skills but it's already like a package thing it's it's um it's acted definitely like a good promotional tool <laughs> yeah yeah and what like looking ahead where do you see yourself like uh, in the future where do you want to go i mean i i do enjoy i, I think so so my comics aren't my full-time thing they've you know you can this the original comic this was in 2010 you know like this is a very old story mm -hmm. uh it takes me a very long time to you know it you find, find that momentum because I, I wrote the first three pretty, pretty, you know, like one year, year after the next. Um, but as my, as my entertainment uh, field career took off, you know, working on things like Deadpool or Planet of the Apes and whatever, like those, the, working for an agency, basically like that, it that took up more time from doing these personal projects. But I've been taking a break from some of those now that I've, you know, I recently had a baby, so I'm at home more. And I've also taken this out as an opportunity to like, look back and see what personal projects still spark joy for me, you know? And I think this is one of them. I, I do have a few more ideas um, to continue the story. And I think I'd like to um, expand it and see if, if there's uh, a couple more, like I think maybe one or two more stories, it's, it's enough to become a graphic novel. And I'd like to collect it all in one thick bound book with a spine. You know, I think that's my, my next goal is to have enough content to make a substantial graphic novel pitch, you know, and have it all packaged and maybe I can shop it around to publishers. Nice. Yeah. But in the meantime, I, I definitely, I'm, you know, like storyboarding and, and is keeping me busy and I still work in, you know, I'm open for freelance for a lot of uh, different, different avenues for illustration and design. And I'm really enjoying that because it's uh, just, just the right, right, right mix, I think for me right now. Kevin, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention that we did? Um, let's see, I guess, uh, I've also started to do more t-shirt designs, which is interesting. Like I used to do that. Was, that was another thing I, my friend, uh, Josh Kimball and I used to do, uh, oh, oh yeah. He was a previous interviewer. Yes, interviewer, he was. Right. Yes. And today <laughs> oh, by the way, I published, uh, with, uh, uh, an interview with, uh, my, his wife. Yeah. Right. Right. No, I, it's funny because when I got your email, uh, I was at uh, LA comic-con sharing a table with him. And this is the first time we had been back at a, or I had been, I hadn't done conventions in years for him even longer. Like he's been chipping away. Like he does very beautiful, very illustrative, very deep, you know, comic yeah. books that are 
hundreds of pages long, you know, like, like, like I said, I started, I've never done that. I've only done small eight page, 16, 20 something, you know, 30, you know, so it's, um, but his are long form, very meditative, very deep, very personal, um, graphic novels. And I'm always inspired by how much consistent work he puts out. Um, but yeah, it was super fun to be, just be at, at that show again with, with like having that face-to-face -face interaction. Cause it had been, you know, since the lockdown, it'd been several years since I'd done a, done a show. Um, but yeah, that was, is very funny. So, um, what was I talking about? The, <laughs> uh, the, the issues t-shirts oh the t-shirts that's right so oh yeah josh and i both um used to do t-shirt designs uh like through threadless and t fury and uh shirt boot um but and i, and I kind of put that i guess you used to work for t fury for a little bit as the art curator and stuff so it was i've definitely like you know been been through that uh genre and field for for a long for a good amount of years but I put it down, but I kind of realized like, I still kind of enjoy putting things on apparel because that's, if you're at a convention or something and you're wearing something on your person and it's something very unique or something very specific and somebody else recognizes it, it's almost like a tribe identification, you know, you know, like, oh, I, I like this thing. You like this thing too, you know, and mm -hmm. the more obscure it is, the more subtle it is, I think the more fun, you know, so I, I like uh i've done you know the both both kind of parody and licensed uh, material but I've, I've started to kind of get back into it so um you can follow me on instagram for find like new t-shirt designs i'm starting to upload and and kind of like build a little bit of um like a the body of work again because it's i've put it out for a long time but i realize it's a lot of fun to have something that that people wear you know and it's public and it's seen and shared you know nice nice where can people find you? So on uh, Instagram and Facebook and everything, it's uh, sketchboy01. Uh, it's really funny. I, I, at a certain point, I think I thought about like, do I need to, because I, I really did make it when I was a boy, you know, like it was early internet, early internet. <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm going to stay Peter Pan. How old were you? In, uh... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I grew up before the internet too, you know, so <laughs> I must have been, <laughs> yeah, you know, like in middle school, early, early high school. But um, yeah, that's going to be me forever, I guess, Sketchboy01. And then my wife and I, we have a combined uh, a little thing called Kitten Rivet. So it's a cat and a robot. So uh, she does all the cuddly things and, and really pretty watercolors. And I do a lot of the sci-fi and pop culture things. So I'm the robot side and she's the cat side. And they're the, our little mascots. And so um, for her work and my work, we combine it together. And uh, it's uh, Kitten Rivet, like K-I-T, the letter N and rivet like the like the machine rivet. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, I gotta say, I I, <laughs> I listened to a bunch of other of your interviews, and it was really fun to see such a broad range of 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 of, of people you've interviewed. Like not just people I know, like Josh yeah. and uh, Gary Hodges, and uh, uh, but uh, like uh, what's her name? Uh, the stunt woman, Mich Michelle. Michelle Smith? Yeah, Michelle Smith. Yeah, so I used to do like some martial arts and gymnastics. So I'm totally, I'm not, I'm nothing like her at all. I'm not superhero, but I enjoy seeing people at the top of their game. And, and it's really cool to hear like, you know, people's behind the, behind the scenes and their personal stories. It's really cool to like get to know them besides just uh, what we see, you know, front facing. I think it's really cool the interviews have been doing. First of all, thanks. I appreciate that. I yeah. do try to get like a wide array of uh, of people, uh, of jobs and 
people. Yeah, around, you know? no, it's, especially with um, there was the what was his name, Juni Juni Ba, like the yes. African comic. I like I don't think I would ever hear about him unless I would find Discover. It's really cool, you know. Like he uh, is everywhere now. Like yeah, he, I don't think I realized that. Like I've seen this stuff. I didn't realize you know like the, all the history and there's it's it's really cool to learn about you know comics and storytelling are everywhere, especially you know like. Uh, aside from the con the circus comic books, I, I do love folklore and a lot of like, you know, uh, I, I also have a series of kind of Aesop's fables stories. I guess I should mention this. I'm, I'm working for the next story I'm working on is a short um, that I, I like learning about, you know, cultural folk tales from different, different parts of the world and kind of like retelling them, combining them, you know, like, and I love these, these things that have a little bit of a, a lesson to them or something that you're like, it's the short and sweet ones, you know? Like Aesop's Fables, um, and I'm I'm currently working on the third ish third mini mini comic. Um, that's that's part of a bigger world, you know. I think like like Gary Hodges had mentioned that he's got another fantasy story, and I feel like every nerdy fantasy fan, fantasy geek, always has like a a, a bigger story in their head. But that one is yeah. definitely further down the line, and that's these little miniature stories are part of a bigger story that I'm, I'm chipping away at. But I, I don't I don't want to talk too much about it yet because I feel like I have less less to show for it you know but you can see some samplings of that on my my website too it started with the the ink raven the moving mountain and and i'm, I'm writing a siren like a mermaid story right now so that's if, if i if i announce it publicly i guess i have to finish it right so <laughs> hopefully that'll that'll be good motivation for me <laughs> yeah yeah you should check out by the way juni Ba's. uh uh i think it's called uh, it's been a while uh, jellies but dj yeah uh-huh yeah it's Unbelievable, and it is about the. Uh, it takes quite a few uh, African, uh, you know, fables and right. puts them together in a way that's really, it's, you know, just it's going to blow your mind. Yeah, no, I, I have a huge appreciation for you know the Joseph Campbell type of like mythological stories and how they you know like tied into modern things, but also like these these kind of like lesser known things that are culturally significant. I think that's, that's a really great way to get out there and, and show it in a new medium. That's a, uh, that's like modern, but also like celebrating, celebrating yeah. the past, you know, and traditions. I think, I think that's what I also appreciate of having gone to a state school. I think if I just went to a straight focused art school, I wouldn't have gotten a breadth of education. Like I really enjoyed my classics and anthropology classes and I have a huge appreciation for languages and how we communicate and how unique that is. Um, Oh, like uh, your David Peterson interview. The, yes. That was amazing. Like, he's so cool to hear, like, the Dothraki language has no word for thank you. Like, oh my, like, what does that mean? You know, like, that's incredible. I think those types of, like, how we use words and uh, symbols, I think are, and I, I incorporate that into a lot of my prints too. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I like, you know, um, doing research and, and, and that, like, I have a, a series of, Norse mythology ones, right? I, I try to like make the runes make sense, you know, like I do a translation of from old Norse texts and and I, I don't think I would do that if I was just a straight comic book Thor fan or even if I just like was technically more proficient. There's plenty of people that are, but I wanted to add, you know, some conceptual things and I wanted to add like uh, the fact that I appreciate, you know, different, uh, different avenues of academics, which I think it, it's pop culture is a, is a method to bring people into, you know, like you do a deeper dive, you know, like, oh, did you know, like there's not the mythology of Thor is this, you know, in the movies, it was 
Chris Hemsworth, he looks great. Yeah, for sure. But also in, in the poetic Edda, you know, this is the story that happens and this is what Loki is like and there's Slepnir mm-hmm. and this is what this is. And, you know, I think that's fascinating. You know, different cultures have um, their histories and how much impact it has. And I think that's kind of what uh, a lot of the comic book movies now are, is the modern folk tales that I think that, that get shared among people. And it's really fun to be a part of. Yeah, superheroes are like modern folk tales. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're the Greek gods, you know, they're the... the yeah. Yeah, for sure. But listen, thank you so much uh, for talking to me and for agreeing to do this. And just thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I really, I still have a lot more to catch up on in your podcast. Or you got great selection of creators. And I'm thank you for highlighting, you know, the, these, yeah, less, lesser known people. But I think that's, uh, I think that's great because it, it highlights the next generation of people and the new voices that need to kind of come up. This is how new ideas and, and, and great things get made, I think. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much to Chris. If you haven't yet, check out his picture at the website at the post of this episode. He's dressed like Hawkeye. <laughs> it's very nice. Also, at his website, chriskawagiwa.com, you can see some of his storyboards, poster art, and so on. So uh, check that out. Uh, you can also find his Instagram, Facebook, and Kitten Rivet. Links in the show notes. Now, next time, because there's always a next time, we find science fiction and fantasy in the Caribbeans. Or the Caribbeans. I depends how you want to say it. Anyway, the Caribbeans await us. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-O-N, at gigdomimpals.com. The website is gigdomimpals.com on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we're at Geekdom Powers, and now episodes are still being uploaded daily to our YouTube. So check that out. It is much, as fun as it is to uh, listen to this, it is much better to see it. So ch- if you want to see all the people we're talking to, new episodes uploaded every day. We have 56 episodes now. Now, if you want to check out my other podcast, it's a daily podcast, a daily fantasy podcast called The Squash Buckler Diaries. It's an experiment in epic fantasy. Feel free to check it out, The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day.